As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I hope anybody's not stupid enough to write this off. Hello and welcome to Two Stars, the Nottingham Forest podcast from The Athletic. Once a week we convene to discuss everything Reds related in the company of The Athletic's Forest experts. Today we'll be reflecting on a pair of 2-0 away defeats, looking ahead to two big games to come and just generally trying to find some joy in the world of the two-time European champions. Available wherever you get your pods and ad-free on The Athletic, this is Two Stars. Yes, welcome in, listener, to our hovel of misery. And that's fine, really. There's loads of the season left. This will definitely be our year. Uh, I'm Matt Davis-Adams, joined, as ever, by the Athletics Forest correspondent, Paul Taylor. Um, Paul, have you enjoyed travelling to Barnsley and Bournemouth since we last spoke without seeing so much as one measly Forest goal? Yeah, it's been joyous. You know, that, that drive back up the motorway yesterday was was brilliant fun. Uh, <laughs> it, it, <laughs> I don't know where to go with that. Well, the key question that everybody's wondering is, did you get your COVID-safe sweetie bag at Oakwell, at least? Yes, yes, we very much did. That that was the high point of the game, as we feared it would be, sadly. Uh, I got I got nothing at Bournemouth, which is probably true of Forest as well, to be fair. So, <laughs> the theme was maintained. Uh, Nick Miller's also with us. Nick, not been a great week for Forest. Are you ready to inject your trademark vim and vigour into the pod to get us all feeling positive again? Yes! Hey, uh, good stuff. Do you want, um, yeah, I can put some vim and vigor on. Uh, uh, yeah, it'll mask the tears. That'll be, that'll that'll be fine, I'm sure. <laughs> All right. Uh, before we begin, in honor of Forest's upcoming game with Swansea, I would like either or both of you to tell me of the 29 Welsh players to represent Forest, who has made the most appearances and scored the most goals. So it's two separate players. You count as Welsh if you represented them at international level. Nick, you can go first. This week, you can take either of those. Most appearances or most goals? Uh, most goals, uh, Rob Earnshaw. Is correct. Oh. Yes. That yeah, was kind there. of the, the easier one, I think. But yeah, Robert Earnshaw by quite a long way as well. 43 goals he got. Um, Paul, that leaves you with most appearances. It's something of a trick question, I think. But I did give you a little clue when I um, when I introduced it. I think it was Earnshaw as well. Was it not? It was not. It was Mark Crosley. Oh, I was going to come in and steal. Oh. Uh, okay, well, you, you, I mean, there's no actual point. So you know that you, you got that right, Nick. Less Welsh than me, but 
still kind of counts. Chris Gunter, if you want an actual Welsh-born Welshman, is number two on that list. Crossley, 201 appearances. Gunter, 155. Right, enough frivolity anyway. Bring on the wallowing. Almost time to talk Barnsley and Bournemouth. Before we do, though, to celebrate Black Friday, we're giving you the chance to subscribe to The Athletic for our best ever price. It's just £1 a month for a full 12 months and you can cancel at any time. So you can access all of The Athletic all year long, including all of our podcasts ad-free. We bring you unrivaled forest coverage for an unbeatable price and we won't be running a better deal anytime soon. The offer runs from Black Friday for just one week up until the 4th of December. So don't miss out. Uh, Nick, in the in the course of researching this podcast, I stumbled across a, an athletic article which I, I hadn't read before, which I really enjoyed, all about a former forest player, Neil Lennon, the player by the men who knew him best, written by Kieran Devlin at, at the end of April. Fabulous piece. Has, has there been anything over recent months that's, that's really stood out for you? Yeah. Um, written by Paul, it's an interview he did with uh, Joe Worrell. This has gone out this morning, I think, on, on The Athletic. Um, I mean, you know, Joe Worrell's always a, um, a, a good interview. Um, I quite like that he's not... And he obviously has a history of this. He's not enormously shy about having a little dig at teammates and he seems to do it in that kind of way that's um on the surface joking but he he basically means it like there's a there's a there's a bit in in the interview um and this is a very minor part there's lots more interesting stuff in it but he um he has a little crack at um at ryan yates for going down a bit too easily um, you know, he says something along the lines of, "Yeah, he's a big lad. He shouldn't be going down. He, he should be uh, going down when someone breathes on him," um, which is very enjoyable. But yeah, I mean, it, it's a it's a really interesting piece. He talks about, um, you know, his experience at Forest so far, what kind of player he likes to play alongside, um, and again, something he's spoken about before, which is that you know, it's not the City Grounds are not the same without fans uh, uh, and uh, lots more stuff otherwise. Yeah, I really enjoyed the quote on the uh, Forest Sports Scientist, Brent Dickinson, uh, making them do upper body work outside at the training ground when it was cold. At the time, you'd be thinking, what a dickhead. It's only now that you appreciate it, uh, which is typically forthright. Paul, the great thing about The Athletic, obviously we've got you and Nick on board, but some fabulous writers, not just covering clubs, but but British and European football in general. There's, There's plenty to go at, no matter who you support. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm not just saying this, but you sit down in the morning with your cup of coffee and go through what there is to read and I never get through it all. So quite often we talk about Kieran's piece on on Neil Lennon and and Celtic and I completely missed that as well. But you try and pick up the best bits here and there, but you never quite manage to do it. So so yeah, all good stuff. Get on it if you're not already listening. Go to theathletic.com slash forestpod. That's theathletic.com slash forestpod. Forest Pod and pay just £1 a month for 12 months. This offer is for new subscribers only. All right, I'm afraid we've got to talk about Bournemouth and Barnsley. So, since we last spoke, Forrest had played two, lost two, conceded two in each of those games, a 2-0 loss at Barnsley, followed up by another at Bournemouth. Plenty of similarities in both games, which we'll discuss principally Forrest's continued inability to score goals. Uh, Paul, you looked at this for the Athletic Post Barnsley, your piece delving into the sometimes murky world of XG, uh, as illustrated at Bournemouth too. It's not that Forrest aren't making chances, but they're definitely not taking them. No, it's particularly prevalent at, at Barnsley, where... 
Forest actually played really well for long spells. They they dominated the game for long periods, and Barnsley too had good chances to score. They hit the bar, uh, you know, more more than I did when the pubs were still open. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's a tough one to call because you know last season you looked at the team under Sabi Lamucci and they created very few chances, but you had Lewis Graben who. You gave him one chance, maybe two in a game, and he'd nearly always score one. I don't know off the top of my head what his chance conversion rate was last season, but it must have been incredible uh, because he missed very few. But this year, Forrester creating far more chances. They're expected goals, uh, which is something I'm quite new to. I'm still getting my head around that stat, but it, it, it is a useful barometer of, of the chances that the team are creating. And their expected goals this season must be twice what it was last year, but their actual goals is is going down. It's it's really hard. I guess the only thing you can say is that if they keep creating the chances, then surely, surely the goals have got to got to come at some point. It's it's when they stop creating those opportunities that you you probably need to worry a little bit more. And at Barnsley, I think a draw would have been a fair result, but they they certainly deserved more than they got. Here's a tweet from Mark who says, there's no guile or speed in the side. It's solid, but lacking creativity. We huff and puff, but on the whole, easy to play against. It doesn't really chime with what Luke Freeman told the Athletic Nick. He said, the group of attacking players we have has to be up there amongst the best in the championship. And that's, you look at it on paper, that is the case, but but there's no doubt that the chances, although they are coming, are not in, in the in the number maybe that you would have think for a team that's got people like Anthony Knockart occasionally starting in the side. Yeah, I mean, XG is a is a sort of it's it's a handy guide rather than something that is kind of you know hard and fast fact. But generally speaking, it does kind of average out over the season. So Forest's XG at the moment is one point three four goals a game, which uh, in kind of English translates as we probably should have scored seventeen goals so far this season, Um, and. at the, at the time of recording, it's just nine from 13 games. So, again, it, it, generally speaking, these things do average out. And uh, as a kind of a live example of this, uh, Reading um, have they've certainly taken, still taken the, the fewest amount of shots in um, in the championship this season. Um, and they're kind of gradually retreating to the mean of that uh, they went unbeaten for their first I think it was eight games of the season and since then they've got um, one point from the last five games so that's a kind of live example of how these things kind of average out I'm aware that we have been quite sort of well someone uh, I saw someone uh, on Twitter kind of um, saying that we have perhaps been excessively positive about Forest's prospects this season um, uh, on the past in this pod, which is you know quite possibly true, but it while um, you know the last two results certainly haven't been haven't been that good. The performances certainly at Barnsley, to perhaps to a lesser extent against Bournemouth, um, have been pretty decent, and we are creating chances, which generally speaking will kind of lead to goals eventually. This is all in theory rather than in practice, of course. Yeah, that was uh, Tom Frost. He says every week the level of optimism on this podcast seems to increase, but struggle to see why, given the performances we are seeing. Um, I, I guess the other natural thing to have a look at, Paul, is the is the the lineup, i.e., who's being selected, but also the the formation. Newton seeming wedded to four two three one. Um, Eve's tweeted the show to say anyone starting to think we don't know our best eleven, is it time to go? 
3-5-2. Um, I guess the problem we're putting two up front at the moment is there aren't really two out-and-out proven fit strikers unless you're going to you're going to throw Will Swan or somebody like that in and, and pair him up with, with Taylor with Graben still being out. Well, you could play Guerrero there, but I, I, I don't think... I don't think you're ever going to see Chris Hewton change the formation that drastically. I think he's got a kind of stock phrase that he uses himself about always playing 4-4-1-1 or 4-2-3-1 generally as his, his starting point. He doesn't vary too much from that. Um, I, th- I think it's more of a, a personnel issue rather than a formation issue. I can understand the desire to to perhaps play three at the back just purely because Forrest seem to have so many good central defenders at the minute that you know lots of people want to see MB So in the side for example. Uh, Michael Dawson, not Michael Dawson. Joe Worrell um, is is close to a return from injury, and you know you really want to get him in a side. The thought of him and Scott McKenna playing together is is really enticing. You think that they would make a a really good partnership with McKenna on the left side and and Worrell on the right. I can't think of uh, too many Championship central defensive pairings that would be would be better than that. I think the four two three one can work. I just think what Forrest desperately need. Is, is for those in that three to, to get firing, to, to do what they can do. We haven't seen the best of Freeman yet. We haven't seen the best of Anthony Knockhart. We've seen it in flashes. Joe Lolly seems to... He's had a couple of really good games and a couple where he's just been not himself, which was certainly the case against Bournemouth again. I don't know whether he's still feeling the effects of this injury, uh, this this problem he had that was similar to shin splints, but not, not quite the same thing. I think they just want them to be firing. I, I don't think Harry Arter necessarily worked as a number 10. I can understand why uh, Hewton wanted to do that against a Bournemouth side that's very, very strong, very good creative players in there. I think he just wanted somebody that would be that would hold on to the ball and, and help Forrest to keep possession at times. And also who could have a bit of creative threat, even if he doesn't have too much goal threat in, in that area of the pitch. But would he have been better sticking with Guerrero, who who has played well recently in that role? Knockhart there, he couldn't play Freeman because he had a slight uh, a slight injury that ruled him out of the game um, in midweek. But I think once that attacking trio, whoever it may be, with Sami Amiobi also involved, Alex Mighton, when he recovers from his injury... You know, they've got good options there. And, and once they get those players firing, I think Forrest are going to end up having the attacking threat that, that they should, they look like they've got on paper. I think it will hopefully become evident on grass very soon. And, and, and we can stop talking about this this lack of goals that's becoming a problem for them at the minute. And, and actually, Nick, it, it's kind of inevitable that they're not all firing at the moment because as, as Paul's pointed out in, in his recent pieces, these are players, A, not signed by the manager they're currently playing for, but but B, most of them new to the club. It is going to take a while. Yeah, and it is very easy to um, to kind of forget all that. And it's it's under, very understandable that there is uh, kind of uh, what in theory is a lack of, lack of patience because of the way last season ended. Um, also because of the kind of short gap in, in between seasons, it just kind of feels like um, this hasn't been the start of a new season. It's been it's sort of a, a three or four month long kind of mesh of games that have all been smashed together, and Forest have been terrible, terrible in, in most <laughs> of that time. Um, and yeah, I mean, you you have to kind of remember that Hewton is. Um, is a manager that needs a little bit of time to to kind of uh, put his uh, methods in place and kind of f- figure the team out. He, he wasn't particularly kind of um, inspiring in his first 
uh, initial kind of few weeks at Brighton, but eventually he got them playing. And you know, I'm aware we're kind of drifting into excessive positivity territory again here, but um, but yeah, I mean, this if if you if the that um, Twitter user wants a little bit of negativity, this is just a sort of symbol of how the club has been run in the last few years. Seventy odd signings in the last uh, however many transfer windows it is. You, you uh, and, and th- this kind of thing is kind of very evident when you watch games. Just as a fan, you it's quite difficult to kind of I don't know get any sort of emotional investment in players because they're just they're just another set of blokes that have kind of been shipped in and will quite possibly be shipped out again or at least you know replaced with someone new in the next transfer window and they'll be you know ushered to the other side of the training ground to to you know train on their own like some kind of naughty schoolboys who haven't really done anything wrong but it's just that you know the the uh, incessant desire for for change and the um the kind of the idea that seems to pervade at forest that if there is a problem then the solution is to change everything rather than just kind of look at it uh, a bit more sensibly and kind of assess what's what's working and what isn't and concentrate on concentrate a bit more on on the latter and have a little bit more patience i know um the idea of patience in football is a, quite an old fashioned one and um it, it, uh, 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 perhaps an unrealistic one um but it is something that it it, it, it you don't necessarily, you don't appoint a manager like Chris Hutton and expect kind of instant results and then get pissy when those instant results don't appear. You appoint him because he is someone who's good at making sense of um, complicated situations, which he did at Newcastle um, uh, all those years ago and to a kind of slightly lesser extent at, at Brighton as well. So, again at risk of um, making excuses for this team and, um, you know, at risk of not talking about a potential relegation battle, which I know a lot of people have done. This is a a manager and a set of players that are still getting used to each other and just need more time to to do that, to get used to each other. One thing this manager is usually pretty good at is sorting out a defence. He needs to do it fairly quickly for for a team that have kept just two clean sheets all season. Now, here's a tweet from Daniel who says, Seems like a real lack of leadership in the team to me. Missing Worrell and even Dawson being in the dugout. Paul, in your your interview with Worrell, that, that sense of leadership from him, I think, really does come across you think he's not too far away from coming back now he won't be far at all he'd highlighted the Reading or Watford game I think I think it was the Watford game he was talking about maybe returning but more likely Reading I think they they do miss Worrell and they miss the kind of leadership that he provides just through the example he sets I think I don't think he's shy about talking during matches about you know making his voice heard and, and perhaps giving the other players a bit of a rollicking if they need one join games. I, I think they may be missing that a little bit. I don't. I, I like Jack Colback. I think he's getting perhaps a little bit more flack than he, he deserves at the minute. I don't think he's been brilliant, but I don't think he's been terrible either. Uh, but he, he's, he, he strikes you as being a fairly quiet player out on the pitch. You don't hear him screaming uh, for the other players to get in the right position or do this, that and the other, where you could actually hear Harry Arter uh doing that during the game at Bournemouth at certain times it, he actually you could hear him swear very clearly with, with no crowd being there and tell the other players to just want the ball uh, and he, he was right and, and Forest probably need more of that they need more more people just to urge them on uh, I, I saw 
I saw some quotes this morning, and I'll be honest with you, I can't remember who they were from, but they were talking about how Bournemouth have an innate confidence in them now. They're, they're fueled with a belief that when they play a match, they're going to win. And I don't think Forest have that at the minute. I think they go into a game hoping they're going to win rather than believing it. And they, they need to find that belief and, and confidence. And the phrase that Nick used was absolutely spot on when he talked about complicated situations. That's exactly what Chris Hewton's inherited at Forest. He's in, inherited a not just a complicated situation, but a, a chaotic situation. 14 new signings. I said when a lot of them signed that they were good additions, and I stand by that. When you look at uh, people like McKenna, uh, MB So looks like a good player, even though we've not seen a lot of him. Ayanu looks good from what we've seen of him. Uh, Colback, I think, will prove to be a good addition in time. Freeman, Arta, Knockhart, Taylor. I'm, I'm probably missing a few. I'm not going to go through all of them, but they all seem like solid signings to me. But did they need 14 signings back in the summer? Probably not. And once you start adding that much change to the mix when it probably wasn't needed, it is always going to create this sort of chaotic situation that Hewton's biggest challenge is just to find what his best team is and get that 11 working as as, as quickly as possible, all drawing a run of really demanding games. So I, I don't envy him, but given his track record in the past, you kind of hope that, that Forrest have got the exact right man to do that and... Hopefully that will prove to be the case, if that's not too optimistic. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Hello, I'm Ian McIntosh, and despite literally spending months of my life playing football manager, I'm still terrible at it. That's why I'm launching the Football Manager Show, the latest podcast from The Athletic. Every week, I'll speak to the people who know the game best, the people who make the game. We'll take a proper look at things like training, recruitment and tactics. We'll try to answer your questions. We'll do everything we can to keep you eager to play just one more game and altogether less inclined to quit without saving. The era of Cherno and Tonton and dear sweet Michael Duff is over. The new football manager is bigger, better, more challenging than ever. And I need some help. If you do too, you can subscribe now. Just look for the Football Manager Show by The Athletic, wherever you get all your other podcasts. It starts in November, and knowing my track record, I'll be unemployed by December. The one other thing that I wanted to talk about as a theme from from both the the two games that that have happened since we last spoke is is substitutions. Obviously, you can do five now in the championship per game. Just one against Barnsley and two against Bournemouth. Really interesting quotes from from Chris Hewton in in Paul's piece. I think it was the post-Barnsley one. Gives you more options, but it can also give you more problems. Uh, I thought he actually explained his argument quite well, Paul, but I'm not sure that that I totally buy it. What what do you think? (laughs) I don't think you're ever going to be seeing a manager in Chris Hewton that's likely to make five changes on a regular basis. I think he's very cautious about it. He hasn't made a lot of changes in the last couple of games, but having said that, in, in the three previous matches prior to the most recent two, he did use all three substitutions. So it's not as if he never makes changes. I think he's just careful about when he does decide to, to make those alterations. And 
at times in recent weeks as well, and again, I'm not making excuses for him, but he hasn't had a host of attacking options to, to bring on with the likes of Mighton and, and Graben. Uh, and more recently, Freeman on, was injured for the for the Bournemouth game. You know, there's players missing that, that would give you another attacking option if they're available, but just haven't been there. He, he got a lot of stick in particular for not making changes against Barnsley when, when they made five changes. And I, I think uh, by the time he'd bought on Freeman, he basically had... Uh, Sammy Amiobi. Sammy Amiobi was the one attacking option he had on the bench. And and when you looked at the team and how they were playing, there wasn't really an obvious person to bring off. They were all playing pretty well. They all looked like they might create something, like they might score a goal. You can make an argument about bringing fresh legs on and how that might make a, a difference to Barnsley. But if you're Chris Hewton and you're looking at your team and how they're performing, I can kind of understand why he, he was reticent to, to, to make a host of changes because they were doing all right prior to those... Uh, last five minutes when Barnsley showed the kind of cutting edge that, that Forrest had been badly missing for the, the previous 85 minutes. I think that the, the, the problem I had, certainly in the Bournemouth game, in terms of substitutions, wasn't necessarily the amount of substitutions that Hewton made. It was more that, uh, and you know, taking on board uh, Paul's point about um, a sort of possible lack of options, but it was the the fact that the substitutions didn't really change much in the team, they were kind of like for like. I mean, I suppose Guerrero coming on for for Arta was obviously more positive and a more kind of natural number ten in that position than Arta. But the other substitution was knockout for Lolly, which is kind of you know different different sorts of players, but they played in they would have played in roughly the same positions. Um, and you know, go, again, just going back to Paul's point about his Hewton's kind of slightly cautious nature. That might be a kind of potential frustration is that he is he can be so cautious that when something isn't working or it's you know it's not quite working or it doesn't look like it might be working later on in the game, he won't change a, a system um, too emphatically. He won't you know I don't know go put um, go for a, a sort of four three three rather than a four two three one or something um, which you know could be a, a, as theoretically small as that um, but it just felt like that, that, that something else um, more kind of drastic might have helped or, or might have uh, changed the game in some way well, the run doesn't get any easier for Forrest. In fact, it's going to get a whole lot tougher. We're going to look ahead to the start of a particularly gnarly run of games next. So Sunday sees Forrest welcome Steve Cooper's high-flying Swans, worst Noel Gallagher tribute band ever, to the city ground. Swans eat the first of five opponents Forrest will face who are in and around the top six. Forrest unbeaten have taken four points from Swansea in each of the last two seasons, but you can't help but think of the 2011 playoff semi-final uh, when you think about Swansea. Nick, they, they don't score many goals. They don't concede many either, though. It might be a tight game, this one. Yeah, not not necessarily one for um, for the purists. I don't think. Um, Christ, you mentioned that 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 Swansea uh, playoff semi final. The first leg is um, uh, we've had more tra- traumatic uh, playoff defeats than that. I think, but that, I think that was the most frustrated I've ever been at a Forest game because obviously I think it was Neil Taylor got sent off after about five minutes, and Forest proceeded to do absolutely you know nothing in terms of um, uh, you know seemingly trying to win the game for, for the 
uh, following 85, and then we all know what happened in, in the second leg. But yeah, I mean, Swansea, very solid team, play pretty attractive football. They have um, got a very kind of, very, obviously, very good, a very well respected coach uh, in Steve Cooper, use um, kind of loans from. Uh, Premier League teams very well using you know Steve Cooper's connections and his reputation with the uh, England youth teams as a, a good kind of manager for those young players. So yeah, it's um, n- not likely to be a kind of goal field classic, but um, I'm all, it's, it's also not the sort of game that you're particularly optimistic about playing as a Forest fan. There's an interesting and slightly depressing contrast, I think, Paul, between the two clubs. Obviously, Swansea kind of snuck into the playoffs last minute at Forest's expense last season, but then they were beaten by Brentford in, in the semis. And, and, you know, that is one of the most painful games in, in football to lose. But they bounced back from that really quickly, whereas Forest still can't seem to shake off the effects of, of the end of last season. No, absolutely. We, we've we've spoken about the changes to to the Forest squad, and I, I do believe that is a factor. But there does also seem to be a. It's hard to assess from the outside, but from from my point of view, when I look at the team, they look like a team that's still got a bit of a hangover from last season. That that belief seems to have been drained from the, uh, them a little bit. And when you speak to Chris Hutton, he talks a lot about how you get that back into the players, how you get them positive and, and confident again. And he admits it's, it's kind of difficult and it, it must be because when, I mean, even Joe Worrell, who's the most positive of, of people ever and speaks very honestly and very bluntly, even he was, was, was talking about last season and the effect it had on him and how it was so hard and so frustrating to slip out of the playoffs in, in such a manner. And he's frustrated now that he's injured and can't play a part in, in, in setting that right on the pitch. But it, it does feel like there's a lingering after effect of, of what happened last season, despite the fact they've got a you know almost an entire new squad on board in terms of new signings and a new manager. It feels like they need to somehow shake that off and, and, and get back to, to doing what they did for so much of last season when they look to be on course for a top six finish. It's, it's really difficult. And I, I don't want to slip into the cliche and say that if, if a couple of wins come you know, against Swansea and Watford, it might change things, but maybe it would. Maybe if they can just get a couple of results, put some of those chances away, uh, people will stop talking about being in a relegation fight and might not not say they're going to surge towards the top two or even the top six, but, you know, maybe start looking up the table rather than down over their shoulders, which would be a, a nice starting point for, for hopefully a, a change in mood. We're talking about uh, the problems with Forrest and the the team and the formation and the kind of hangover from last season in a very kind of logical way, but perhaps we have slightly discounted the idea that there is just some kind of malevolent force at Forrest that uh, causes (laughs) all joy and positivity to disappear and seeps its way into the team. doesn't matter how many people you change, it's always going to be there that we're just this kind of colossal suck hole for creativity and goals and there's some sort of higher power against us. I don't know, it's it's one to consider anyway. Is is this the plot for Ghostbusters 3? Yes, yes it is, yes. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Anybody, Nick, Swansea-wise, who stood out for you? I think Andre Ayew's having a terrific season, going at one in two at the moment. A real revival he's had of late, but they made some good buys in the summer as well. Yeah, I've always liked Matt Grimes. He's um, kind of central midfielder, um, keeps things ticking over for them in there. Yeah, and Ayew uh, is, is a is a slightly odd player, I guess. He's a, that classic player that you think would... Um, when a, a team goes down from the Premier League, you'd think would attract someone, will pay, you know, £15 million for him and he would sort of bat around a, a series of clubs in kind of various stages of disarray for, for a few years. But, he, you know, he's stuck around. Maybe he, doesn't, he didn't necessarily want to in the first place, but he's certainly one of the most kind of uh, threatening strikers in the in the Championship. And it's that sort of... I mean, I mean, it's using Swansea as an example of a well-run club is not necessarily one that applies anymore. But it's, it's keeping hold of someone like Ayu and and making the the best of them is one of the kind of mm. frustrating things about Forest because that just sort of doesn't really seem to happen. If a, a player is kind of out of favour or whatever, then he's he's shipped out. But there are very few like Ayu who have just kind of stuck around and then whichever manager is in charge has just kind of made the best out of them. Uh, well, also, before we next meet, Forrest are going to take on Watford at Vicarage Road, uh, Hertfordshire in December. What could be finer? Don't answer that. Uh, instead, listen in as we look ahead to Forest game at Watford. It's on Wednesday. That's the 2nd of December. Uh, Watford on Wednesday night drawing with Bristol City. It means they're going to the weekend's action in fifth place. They've got the same points as Swansea. Uh, first meeting between the teams since 2016. FA Cup fourth round. Watford won late 1-0 at the City ground. Odion Igalo got the winner. He'd scored in each of the last three meetings between the teams, actually. Forrest haven't won at Vicarage Road since 2011. Um, Paul, like, like the other relegated clubs, Watford have settled back into life in the Championship really quickly, and that's particularly impressive in their case, given that they've got a new manager. <laughs> they have a new manager every six weeks and still makes it all right. Watford that's generally, true, yes. <laughs> it, it doesn't seem to alter their fate whatsoever. I think sometimes Forrester tried to follow that blueprint without quite as much success. But you look at Watford's squad and it's 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 frightening really, isn't it? It's probably one of the best in the Championship by some distance. And uh, if, if they're not up there at the end of the season with the likes of, of Bournemouth, uh, I'd, I'd be very, very surprised indeed. It is going to be another tough game, but the, the only thing you take some solace from is, is the fact that Forrest whilst they've had problems away from home and they very much need to address those as well. We haven't really spoken about that. The, their away form's been pretty poor in contrast to uh, to what they've done at home. I know they've they've not been brilliant at home either, but you do get the sense that they at least feel a bit more confident and are a bit more of a threat at home in terms of goal scoring, you know, with them only scored two away. So you you hope that, that Forest quality will shine through, but you get the feeling that it's it's very much going to have to if it's not going to be a third defeat in a row. I don't want to be too negative or too defeatist, but this is another very, very tough challenge. Might be four defeats in a row. <laughs> yes, don't say that. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it's another very, very tough game and Forest are going to have to be at their best if they are going to get anything from it, but let's let's hope they can be. It's, it's It feels like it's going to be another 
um, like when you looked at the the Bournemouth team and and you know watched the Bournemouth play with David Brooks turning various people inside out, where you just look look at them and think, Jesus, this is this is just this is unfair, and you know you could get into various debates about the um, you know the fairness or otherwise of parachute payments and so on, but just looking at the Watford team that played the other night, you know Andre Gray up front, Ismail Assar on the wing, Chalabar in midfield, Cathcart and uh, Cabaselli. Fostering goal. It's not evidently. It's not a Premier League team because they got relegated last season. But it's not far not far off a mm. collection of Premier League players, which um, it must be certainly dispiriting as a fan. So hopefully, it's not too dispiriting for the players when they see the team sheet before the game. But actually, Paul, I wonder if if it shows that the gap between the top end of the Championship and the bottom end of the Premier League is actually bigger than than people would think. Because Norwich, Watford, and to a lesser extent Bournemouth. I know they lost a couple of key players, but but. The other two certainly managed to keep all their all their star players, if mm. you like, from the Premier League last season. Is that because nobody wanted them? You know, players who, who couldn't cut it in the Premier League all of a sudden look like world beaters again in the Championship. There, there is very much a gap there, and I think, as, as Nick mentioned, parachute payments there. I think that makes a big difference because these teams suddenly come down in a world of FFP where there's limitations on the losses you can make. They come down armed with such an extra. A barrel full of cash, if you like, knowing that they can afford to keep hold of these players and pay their wages for a couple of seasons at least. Perhaps not. There's, there's probably a limited time frame on it if they don't go up immediately. If they don't go up in the first season or two uh, and get back into the Premier League, then, then they might have to cut their cloth differently. But for at least one season, if not two seasons, they they have this advantage where they can afford to sustain uh, a squad that is full on paper at least, of of more quality and more depth and of, of players that are uh, ostensibly Premier League players. You know, they might, they might not be a Premier League squad as a whole, but Watford have got Premier League players, Premier League quality players. And, and that's the area that, that Forrest need to be competing. It's, it's really, really tough. I, I said after the defeat against Bournemouth that, that they had probably set the bar for where Forrest need to be if they do have promotion aspirations. And knowing that, and actually being able to close that gap and, and reach that bar is, is is two very different things. It's it's really tough. Uh, you suspect, it, it, in, a, in a strange way, that might have been the thinking behind this sort of wild raft of, of spending in the summer where Forrest bought in these 14 players just in a strange notion that it would help them to compete somehow, that they hadn't quite got there last year. So let's chuck a bit of money at it and, and, and see if we can get there. And, I don't necessarily agree with that logic. I'm just trying to think of where it's come from, but I think that might have been part of the thinking. Uh, it was, you know, unnecessary transfer business done through ambition in a strange way, but just not well thought out ambition. Oh, this is depressing. All right, we're nearly <laughs> at the end of this week's show. Uh, still time to ask, though, did they really play for Forest? Yes, it's time for everybody's favourite podcast feature on this particular podcast, at least. It's called, Did They Really Play For Forest? And this week, our subject is Neil Leanon. Leanon played 21 times for Forest in the first half of the 07-08 season in League One. He didn't offer much apart from snarling. Shipped out to Wickham by January. Colin Calderwood said at the time he hoped the signing of Lennon would persuade Chris Commons to sign a new contract. Uh, Lennon then ended up signing Commons for Celtic when he was manager. Nick, I felt like at the time you, you could see the logic in it. Well, it'll be a good influence in the dressing room, etc., and so on. But it didn't really work out. It didn't. No, it's, this was 
part of Calderwood's great. This was Calderwood's great wheeze for a couple of seasons that he would sign a, a very experienced ex-pro who had won a lot of trophies with bigger teams in the past, and you know, hopefully, their sterling attitude would um, rub off on the other young players in the team. Uh, and um, to be fair to him, he kept he stuck to that policy. Um, even after it failed quite spectacularly with uh, Lennon, obviously he. Uh, my memory of Lennon is that he had a kind of vaguely similar physique to mine and didn't really leave, leave the centre circle. Um, he couldn't get a game at Forest, so he went to Wickham. And then the following season, uh, as another player, I'm sure we'll talk about in this feature in the uh, in the future, Andy Cole, um, who and you know, similar results with that. So you could sort of see the theory, but um, it quite sensationally didn't pay off in in practice and Paul more so than than for the likes of Jack Colback there was a really really dreadful clash between Lennon's hair and the Forest home kit that's my <laughs> principal memory of his of his time at the city ground can you offer anything anything more insightful than that I remember there was uh, and I've been looking through the fixtures of the games that he actually played in but I remember being stood outside uh, a dressing room at somewhere I think it might have been Bristol Rovers or it could have been Chester uh looking at the fixtures but I remember being stood outside the dressing room and in those days it was a time where you could hang outside the dressing room and just try and collar a player for an interview as they walked out back to the coach and I remember being stood outside this dressing room for a good five or ten minutes and just listening to Neil Lennon scream blue bloody murder at the rest of the squad it was like he wasn't he was almost doing the team talk uh and he wasn't a happy camper at all uh and I remember just thinking when he came out after listening to him rant and rave and, and strip, tear an absolute strip off the rest of the team, he was actually the first player to come out. And I remember thinking, do I have the guts to ask him if he wants to do an interview? Uh, and you might not be surprised to know that the answer to that question was no. I think I just gave him a little nod and let him be on his way. Uh, so, yeah, I think he was... I can understand why Coldwood wanted to sign him, and it was for exactly that reason, I suspect, because he was that kind of figure that that perhaps would have been a leader in the dressing room, somebody who would have, uh, as we've spoken about, somebody who wouldn't be shy about telling the other players where they were going wrong or what they needed to do or just to hand out an old-fashioned bollocking if it was required. And uh, I can vouch for the fact that he absolutely did do that. Unfortunately, he wasn't quite the... Uh, the impact wasn't quite the the player that they'd hoped for on the pitch. He, he he didn't have much mobility, and he tended to just wobble around like a weeble and and not 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 make much impact at all. Uh, so a good signing on paper, uh, a good signing in theory, but in reality, sadly not. He, he, his best days had gone. What a player he was, by the way. He, he was was a heck of a player. It's just Forrest signed him two or three years too late, didn't he? Yeah, and the story of his career is is well worth reading. That piece by Kieran Devlin that I mentioned, some startling revelations in there about the stuff that he had to put up through just to just to get through his career. Um, finally, Nick, it's not going particularly brilliantly for him at the moment as as Celtic manager. He, he might be looking for a new job pretty soon. Yeah, it's interesting that Paul mentioned him kind of giving the Forest players a significant bollocking. That seems to be one of the theories why it's not really working out. At Celtic this season, in that his, um, you know, put a rocket up the arse of the players style of management is good for, you know, maybe established pros or um, a little bit more, a uh, little bit thicker skin who can cope with that kind of thing. But when you've got a quite a young squad, that theory doesn't really work out. And, uh, you know, it's showing as such with Celtic at the moment. I mean, that said, Celtic have only. Um, I'm kind of nicking points from the uh, Totally Scottish Football Show um, that's uh, out at the moment, but 
So uh, the 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 Celtic are still you know they're eleven points behind Rangers, but with two games in hand. So and they've only lost one game this season. Um, but there does seem to be a kind of a bit of a um, a groundswell of opinion that his his time is done. And uh, who knows? Maybe that the reason for that groundswell of opinion and the reason for it not going particularly well at the moment, the seeds were sown in that dressing room at either. Bristol or Chester all those years ago. <laughs> There's always a time frame on that kind of management, isn't there? It, it's, it seems like an approach to management that only works for a, a certain amount of time until players get bored of just being shouted at every every game and stop listening or stop taking it on board. It, it, it feels like that's an approach that works for a while and then after a while the players just stop listening because they, they get it all the time. It, it becomes ineffectual. Yeah, particularly these days, I think. Anyway, that was Neil Lennon. We'll have another. They played for Forest same time next week. Now, that's just about it for today's show, though. Before we go, Paulo, I'm guessing you'll be at the city ground on Saturday? I'll be there on Sunday. If I go on Saturday, it might be a bit even quieter than normal. <laughs> uh, sorry. <laughs> do, you not, do you not just go on, on Saturdays anyway? Just, to just on of, a whim. Just to, Yeah, just, just to put your coat down and make sure you get your place. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish it was back to those days. I really do. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I can't say I will pop along on Saturday afternoon. The, the missus has been making rather worrying noises about going to a garden centre, so maybe I will pop to the city ground after all. <laughs> uh, how about you, Nick? Are you going to be watching from behind the sofa? Reluctantly, I think, yes. Um, a significant blow that uh, I think there's a run of about five or six Forest games that are on Sky at the moment, so it's a little bit more difficult to avoid them. Um, if it's just on... It's just an iFollow. You can say, no, nah, I'm not paying 10 quid for that. But um, if they're on the subscription service that you pay for anyway, it's, you, you've, it's a little bit more uh, tricky to you know, justify ignoring it. But, you know, I'll have a good go. Don't forget our special Black Friday offers running from this Friday for one whole week. You can get yourself a subscription to The Athletic for our best ever price of just £1 a month for 12 months. And you can cancel at any time. Go to theathletic.com slash forestpod. That's theathletic.com slash forestpod. And pay just £1 a month for 12 months to access our unrivaled Reds coverage. This offer is for new subscribers only. Listener, we'll catch up with you again next week. Many thanks to Nick, to Paul and producer Adonis. For now, though, from all of us here, it's goodbye. Thank you.